You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. This is the scripture reading from Matthew 12, 38 to 45. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last day of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you this morning in need of a word from you, and we ask that you'd speak to us. Uh, for, the, for those of us who come uh, desperate, who come in great need, uh, we ask that you would meet us where we are. For those of us who come in apathy, uh, who don't know our need, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear from you, to see from you what you would show us today. We ask that you would do this by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. There's a camp I used to work at called the Scott Mission Camp. It's a camp for uh, kids from low-income families in the Toronto area. And one of my favorite campers one summer was a kid named Gage. Now this kid, uh, he was inquisitive. He was a bit of a troublemaker. Um, But in our cabin devotional times, which we did every night, it was an opportunity for me to to speak with the kids and to open up the scriptures uh, to them. Uh, me and a co-counselor were with a cabin of about eight, eight kids who were there all, all week long, overnight camp. And every night we would have these times of, of uh, a devotional time. And, you know, I'd, I'd um, be preaching passionately, you know, as a lo- young, uh, in my early 20s. And only to discover that most of the kids eventually were just all asleep. Uh, but, but here's Gage. Here's Gage. He's, he's paying attention. You know, this is the one kid, and he's asking questions. And he, he's, you know, he's interested. He's not from a Christian family. This was just an opportunity for him to get away for, for a week at this Christian camp. Um, but he was engaged. And one night, uh, we had a particular, what I thought was a particularly good conversation, uh, the two of us, as everybody else fell asleep. 
And uh, we talked about, you know, the gospel, God's great uh, love for his creatures, his call to, to, to trust in him. Um, and he seemed to be taking it to heart. And just before that night, he went uh, out to the bathroom and came back. And when he came back, he was out of breath. He was very excited. And he said, Patau, for that was my camp name. Patau, Patau, you won't believe what just happened. I was outside. I was asking God, God, if all of this is real, will you show me a sign? And I looked up into the night sky. And just at that moment, a star shot across the sky. You know, this brilliant light across the sky. He'd never seen, I mean, he's a city kid. He, he'd never seen probably any stars in the sky before. Um, and at this point, he, he was just, uh, he began uh, to get quite emotional, you know, crying and, 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 and taking this as um, quite a personal sign of the Almighty God to him at a time of need. Now, what you make of that, Maybe it's just happenstance, or maybe this is a great intervention of the divine being to a person who is in a particular time of need. Uh, I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. But I think that Gage was not alone in his desire to see a sign, in his desire to see something from God that would validate the word that was proclaimed. I was in, the, in my early 20s. Uh, this is a different time, finishing up my undergrad. Uh, you know, and I'd grown up in the life of the church, you know, Christian family, uh, I'd heard the word, I'd received the sacraments, um, but I was at a time of, I would say, deconstruction of my faith. I was doing a religious studies degree in undergrad, and I had a lot of questions, a lot of doubts that were emerging for me. And it, it was at that time where I found myself um, seeking for a sign of my own, seeking for something, again, that would validate this thing, this faith that I'd been brought up to believe, looking for something, right? uh, looking for something that I could grab onto and say, now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is real, that, this is, that you know, I can trust in the claims of Christ, I can trust in this word, these words of the scriptures. I was seeking for a sign. And I wonder about you. Have you ever found yourself seeking for a sign? Maybe you're looking for one right now, this morning looking for some sign that this is real, uh, that these claims of the Christian faith are true, that, that you're on the right path, that God is really there, and maybe even that Jesus' claims specifically are true. And if that's you, well, I'll warn you, you may be disappointed this morning. You may be disappointed. Because what we, what we find in this portion of Jesus' story is that you and I are the kinds of people who look for the signs that we don't need and neglect to see the very signs that our God has chosen to give us. We're a people who tend to ignore the signs that were given and instead seek for the wrong kinds of signs. We distort reality as it is. Uh, we don't see as we ought to see. We don't rightly interpret the signs that are given and instead seek for the signs that we want. But my hope is that with God's help this morning, we'll stop looking for the signs we don't need and instead come to receive the sign we do need, which is the very sign that God himself has determined to give to us. So here's the movement of our passage this morning, that Jesus refuses to give the signs that we're seeking. 
He refuses to give the signs that we're seeking, but freely gives the sign that we need. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Now this sounds like a harsh indictment. Again, don't we all need a sign? Don't we all need some kind of validation? Don't we all uh, uh, want to hear from God in some way, way that's unique and personal to us? Don't we need that in order to carry on in the Christian faith, in order to know what's true? Don't we need that? And didn't the Pharisees need this at this time? Right? Um, to put their doubts to rest. It seems so reasonable what these Pharisees were asking for. So what's the big deal about these scribes and Pharisees seeking for a sign that Jesus would respond in this way and say it's an evil and adulterous generation that looks for a sign? Well, it's important to consider the context of this statement. Remember that Jesus had literally just shown the Pharisees a sign. Okay, a few chapters earlier, we see that, God, that Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath day right in front of their eyes. And before that, we saw that Jesus had already done a great number of signs, most of which, again, we could assume that the Pharisees had at least heard of, if not seen evidence of, with their own eyes. Actually, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're told this, and Jesus went throughout Galilee, all Galilee, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. We're told stories of Jesus healing a leper and a paralytic and, Jesus, and um, the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law. Not to mention his calming of a storm, casting out demons, sign after sign after sign after sign. Talked about, verified by those who had been around, those who he'd healed, uh, spoken about. Some right in the faces of the Pharisees. And now here, just before our text for today, we're told, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And at this, the Pharisees, who apparently could no longer deny that Jesus was doing signs, changed their tactics to saying that these signs must be done by the devil, by the power of the devil, the power of darkness. Right? Jesus must be performing these signs in some other way. Yeah, at a point where they could no longer deny the reality of these signs, they have to now reinterpret these signs in a different way. Again, sign after sign after sign, and they would not believe. And this brings us to the present text, where the scribes and Pharisees are again asking now, in this context, show us a sign. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus' response an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it. Why? Now, why does Jesus refuse to give them the sign they desire? Well, it seems to me that these Pharisees and scribes have proven themselves to be the kinds of people who will not see because they don't want to see. They don't want to. Now, earlier this week, let me just this here. That's better. Earlier this week, my wife said to me, this is kind of an unfortunate example, but it's what happened. Um, she said to me, you need to stop leaving 
poo diapers around the house. Okay, we've got a newborn. Okay, I gotta stop doing this. Now, my response, of course, was I don't leave poo diapers around the house. Okay, it must be somebody else. It's probably my sister in law. Uh, shout out to Auntie Ola. Um, you know, this doesn't fit with my self perception of who I am. I'm no slob. You know, I'm, I'm a relatively clean person. I'm not irresponsible. The crime doesn't fit the person. But upon further reflection, it was me. <laughs> you know, on, on further reflection, it occurred to me that, that maybe, just maybe, there were times where I wasn't as careful and conscientious as I'd like to think that I was. You know, um, maybe, just maybe, I changed the diaper and got caught up with, you know, the kids or, you know, uh, or Jesse was just looking so cute and I got distracted somehow um, and went on to the next thing. What, what's the point? I didn't see that I'd left dirty diapers around the house because I didn't want to see it. I didn't want that to be true of me, that I'm the kind of person who just leaves things around. Okay, now, obviously this is a fairly trivial example, unless you're the one who has to pick up after me, but it can be extended in some pretty, pretty serious ways. Uh, when somebody points out a flaw in you, um, that you're selfish, that you're dishonest, that you lied, that you are harsh in your words, or that you can be arrogant at times. You don't listen, and you're not listening, okay? or you're not invested in this friendship or this marriage, wh whatever it is. How often are we unable to see, certainly uh, immediately, how often are we unable to see the truth that is so clear to them, and perhaps so clear, you know, bright as day to other people, but unable to see it for ourselves? And might it be the case that there are things that we simply don't see because we don't want to see them? And might this be true also about our perception of the signs that God gives us? The Pharisees didn't see the signs because they didn't want to see the signs, and so no sign will be given, Jesus says. And might it be that you and I have similar troubles to the Pharisees? Might it be that you, in all your desire to see a sign from God, are in fact willfully blind to the countless signs and evidences that God has already given? You know, the things that are right in your face, before your eyes, the evidences of the God who made you and his love and care for you and his call on your life, his invitation to come and be known by him. Might it be that in all of your desire to see a sign, that all of that is just a distraction from actually doing the thing that is clear in front of you, right? but signs that you're unwilling to see, maybe signs that are too inconvenient for you to see, because in fact, this is precisely what the Bible has to say about us, about you and about me. That this same dynamic of willful blindness is in fact part of who we are in a world in rebellion against the God who made us. Romans 1 classically speaks of those who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And you say, how? Where? Why? When did this happen? You know, when, when did God make things about himself plain to us? We don't see. We don't see the signs, we say. 
And Paul goes on, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, okay, this is like a pan-human reality that Paul is speaking about, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What's Paul saying? He's saying that there are things in this world, particularly truths about who we are in relation to the God who made us, and that there is a God who deserves our honor and our thanks. Okay, that there are these truths, these realities that we should be able to recognize, things that we know, things that we can't not know, but that we will not recognize simply because we don't want to recognize them. We don't want to. It's too inconvenient to think that there would be a personal God who actually has a moral claim on our lives, that we owe our thanks and our gratitude. It's too inconvenient. It's better to be an atheist or agnostic. It's better to live as though we don't know. And yet the scriptures witness against us. We know. We know. The Pharisees don't see the signs because they don't want to see them. We can press this question further. Why? We might ask again. They cannot recognize, they cannot afford to recognize in Jesus the working of God's Spirit. Okay, and I think that there are some pretty practical reasons why these Pharisees simply cannot afford to recognize this about Jesus, because it would be to admit that they've been wrong and that they've been wrong all along. It would be to admit that the so called God that they're serving, you know, the God that they profess to serve, the God of Israel, is not, in fact, the God that they're serving, but instead, what they, what they would be exposed in is that they've been serving the God of themselves, right? that they've been using the God of Israel as a means to their own building up their reputation, to their own acclaim, to their own wealth, to their own perception, to their own esteem by others. Right? Using religion to get what they really want, they would be exposed in all of this. And at the end of the day, for them to admit that the God of Israel is alive and at work and revealing himself in the face of Jesus Christ, their adversary, this would simply be too costly. And so they don't want to see it. They can't see it because they do not want to see it. It would cost too much. And it's worth considering. In what ways are you and I like them? Maybe you're here and you're considering the claims of the Christian faith. And you're waiting for a sign. And let me ask, might it be that your desire for a sign is only masking what's really there? Is only serving as an excuse to allow you to do what you want to do and to not put you in a position where you would have to submit to the God who made you and come to him in humility, and by faith. Could this be true of you? Could it be that your desire for a sign is just another way to avoid acting on the things that you know to be true, the things that are right in front of you, the truth that has been revealed? And if you're here and you are a Christian, waiting for a sign, perhaps, in order to move forward in some area of obedience, you know, waiting for God to, to verify, to, to prove that he's true so that you can then step forward in some area of obedience. Let me challenge you to consider. 
Could it be that God has already given you, as the Apostle Peter says, everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness? Has he not already given you everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him? Has he not already made clear to you what you need to do, his call on your life? My guess is that some of us are waiting for some special uh, sign, some special time from God in order to move forward in the faith. It could be about having a difficult conversation, confronting a brother or a sister or a friend or a spouse. It could be a matter of turning or repenting from a particular sin. Don't wait for a sign to confirm these things because, as Jesus says, it is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign. As a brief aside, it seems to me that there is a way of being a Christian that is always looking for a sign, a new word, a prophetic word perhaps, something to grasp onto that can give you some confidence to move forward. But I'll I'll remind you that in ancient Israel, such signs were not allowed. Right? Uh, God actually forbid the people of Israel for pursuing such signs. Right? Uh, such signs were associated with the necromancers, the diviners, the fortune tellers. And God said, don't, don't go to them. Right? You're people who are called to live by faith in the word that I've given you. As it says in Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to God. But that which has been revealed belongs to us and to our children forever. Right? The God of Israel, and what it means to follow the God of Israel is to receive the word proclaimed, and to trust him and to follow through with the word proclaimed and not to seek some sign in advance. I mean, don't get me wrong. If God gives you a sign, wonderful, you know, wonderful. And God can use signs of many kinds to encourage us in the, in the faith. But if we're relying on signs from him in order to step forward in faith and to, and to trust a word that he's given, this is the kind of faith that God does not call us to. He calls us to hear his word and to obey He will not give us the signs we want, but only the signs we need. Only the signs we need. This second part will move much faster. So what we find here is that they're not given the signs they want, the Pharisees, but Jesus gives them the sign that they need. In verse 39 and following, Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, I will not give you what you want and what you're demanding of me, but you will receive the one sign that you need, what he calls the sign of Jonah. Now, there's a lot going on here, a lot of comparisons to be made about the historical period of Jonah's life and his call uh, and the life of Jesus, but we should at least see this, according to the context of this passage, we should at least see this, that just as Jonah was sent to a far-off land to proclaim judgment and salvation and peace in God's name, and just as Jonah himself was cast into the depths of Sheol, as it puts it in the book of Jonah, right, for three, three days and three nights in the belly of the fish in the depths of Sheol, so it is with Christ, who would be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And just as 
Jonah's own dying descent down, downwards. Uh, jo- 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 the whole book of Jonah, uh, at least that first chapter, has him on this descent downward, downward, downward into Sheol. In the same way that Jonah's own dying descent leads to the salvation of the people who are with him. Right? He's cast out in order to, that the sailors with him might live. Uh, so it is with Christ who descends to the belly of the earth in order that he might save uh, all who are with him and in him. And just as Jonah was vomited up from Sheol on the third day to proclaim peace and grace and forgiveness to the nations, so Jesus would do the same. Okay, we're, we're instructed to see these relations between the prophet Jonah and the coming of Jesus, the way that Jonah serves as a sign of the true and greater Jonah to come. But there's an important difference between these two highlighted here in terms of their ministries. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's, it's significant to know that Jonah didn't go to Nineveh performing signs. Okay, there's no evidence of that in the story of Jonah. Okay, instead, he came preaching a simple message of repentance and faith in the God of Israel. Turn or you'll be destroyed was his essential me- uh, message. And the people of Nineveh, were told, listened. They heard the word of the Lord, and they trusted the word of the Lord. They repented, and they believed. They didn't ask for a sign, but they heard the word of the Lord, recognized it as a word from God, and responded. And isn't this just the way that faith so often works throughout the scriptures, where the faithful are those who respond to the word, Sometimes confirmed by signs and wonders, to be sure, but mostly, mostly a people who respond to the ministry of the word. Okay. Mostly what God has expected from his creatures is that we would be people who hear his words proclaimed in all of creation, in the prophets, in the scriptures, in Christ, and respond. That we would be a people who hear the word and respond. Apparently, according to the God of the Bible, Humans don't need signs nearly as much as we think we do. What we need is to hear the word of God and to receive it by faith. This is Jesus' point with Jonah and with Solomon. He gives another example where in both cases, the nations don't ask for a sign, but they hear the word of the Lord and they listen, they believe, and they obey. Reminds me of uh, Jesus' words to Thomas. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. Finally, our passage ends today with a warning, and it's this. That there are some who will experience the presence and the power of the kingdom of God, just as the Jews, the Pharisees, scribes of Jesus' day did. But that to receive the benefits of God's grace and to resist the source of those benefits, the Son of God, Jesus himself, is to set yourself up, to set ourselves up for a greater fall than we've ever experienced before. The last state, Jesus says, is worse than the first. And so the invitation at the end of this passage is this, that if you're here and you're looking for a sign from God, the caution is be aware and beware that whatever signs God gives you will only serve to expose what you really want. The signs he gives will only expose what your heart is really after. 
So what are you after? Because the good news this morning is that if you're after a relationship with your God and maker, if you know your need for forgiveness and reconciliation with him, if you want to come home to the God who made you, then the word proclaimed is look no further than the face of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Father. Jesus, the power of God and the wisdom of God, has given you the sign of Jonah. He's given his life for you, that you might have life in his name. Repent and believe in the good news. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess our weakness before you, that we are a people who feel weak often in our faith, who are prone to doubt, who are prone to desiring other things other than what you choose to give us. And we ask for your help and your forgiveness. We ask that you would make us a people who want what we need and a people who trust what you've said and in trusting you know this word to be a true word. Father, we ask that you would feed us and that you would help us and grow us in this faith that you call us to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.